Hello, welcome to WeChats. I am your host, Tania Fuentes, and today we're gonna talk about the most iconic Scottish sport, golf. To tell us all about it, here joining us today is Ian Gardner, ex-president and current member of the Mexican National Rules Committee and former executive director of the Mexican Golf Federation. Welcome, Ian. Uh, very well, Tania. Thank you very much for the invitation and uh, congratulations on all the good work you do for Scotland and Mexico. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for being part of it as well. So today we're here to talk about golf. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what's your connection with golf? What makes you an expert in this field? <laughs> well, I guess um, I've been working in golf um, as a volunteer. We volunteer with the uh, Mexican Golf Federation. And um, I work as a rules official at national championships, uh, both amateur and professional, uh, including the USGA, United States Golf Association. I've, I've worked at seven uh, US Opens. Uh, so that's all great experience. And uh, you have to do the studying and take the exams and get, get the scores to be invited to these events. Um, I've come up through the ranks in, in Mexico. I was my club captain, then I was the... Uh, the rules director of the junior tour in the Mexico Valley. And then I became president of the National Rules Committee. And, and after that, I became the executive director of the Mexican Golf Federation itself. But I was only there for two years. That, that, that wasn't a, a position I was very happy in. So I, I decided to, to resign from that position. Uh, so that's what I've done in, in Mexico in golf. Um, it's very interesting that I was able to um, participate on the United States uh, Rules of Golf Committee through Mexico, not through Scotland, um, because the, 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 there are two huge, two big committees, important committees in the world. One is the USGA, United States, and the other one is the Committee of St. Andrews in Scotland. And me being Scottish, you would expect me to get involved through Scotland, but I got involved through Mexico, for which I'm eternally grateful to the to Mexico and the uh, Federation. So how did that happen? How did you end up in Mexico and, you know, connecting everything? You know, oh, you know Tanya, actually, Tanya, my life was like a, a series of negative decisions up to that point. I, I, <laughs> I knew I didn't want to be a businessman. I didn't want to be a doctor, but I did like languages. And I, and I studied French and English literature at university. And, uh, and after that, I just wanted to get to know the world and travel. Uh, so I ended up in Mexico because I knew there was a lot of work for English teachers here. And uh, that was back in uh, 1982 when I came to Mexico, a long, long, long time ago. And um, after a couple of years I spent in Italy, I came back to Mexico and I'm still here. So um, happily so, I may add, happily so. Oh, we're, we're glad you stayed. <laughs> but... Uh, so were you no, playing golf before, like in, in Scotland? Or how, how does it work? How did you become a part of this, like, rules comedy? Do you have to be a player first and then, like, uh, move to the other side of it? Or how did that happen? And not really. I, it always obviously helps if, you, if you're a player and you have a, a good idea of what the game is in, its, in, in essence. No? Um, but my, my father was a golf professional. He was a, a teacher in Scotland. So I learned to play when I was very, very young. When I went to primary school, I could already play golf. So I, um, I don't remember when I started, but I know it's always been a very important part of my life. 
And I think when I realized that I couldn't compete at the highest levels as, a, as an amateur, as a golfer, um, for those who know about golf, I got my handicap down to two, which is a quite a good level, but not good enough to, to win national championships and to think about becoming a pro. So uh, lacking, that kind of, uh, <laughs> lacking that kind of talent, I, um, I decided that I wanted to be involved at the highest level, so I took to the rules, you know. And as I say, Mexico started in the, the junior, the Mexico uh, Golf Association, Mexico Valley Golf Association Junior Tour. And, um, and that's what I really learned about the rules, watching the kids making mistakes. It was a lot of fun. I can't imagine. And the passion is something, I think the passion is something that, that's got skill for golf, you know. It's, it's, a, it's, um, it's something that is, is probably one of the most popular sports in Scotland, probably after. I think the most popular activity in Scotland is fishing. And after that, probably <laughs> football. Um, but golf is up there high on the list somewhere, so... Uh, we do feel very seriously about the traditions of the game, the traditions, the uh, playing the game by the rules and, uh, and doing things properly. I think that's where the passion comes from. Yeah. Great. And is it really a Scottish game? I was uh, uh, always curious about it. Or does it have its origins elsewhere? Because I read it can be traced back, like way back to Roman times. <laughs> so, I don't know um, what the real version is. I don't, I don't know I don't know about Roman times, but a golf or a form of golf was certainly played in many different countries, like um, like Holland, for example, the Netherlands, like Argentina. Argentina is probably the um, number one golfing nation in Latin America. I think without a doubt it's number one. Um, uh, they had a game similar to golf many, many years ago, but... Um, Golf, as a, as the, game, the modern game of golf that we know today in its regulated form, um, was definitely born in Scotland. The first code of rules was published in Edinburgh in 1744. So we're talking about quite a long time ago. Oh, you know? wow, yeah. And at that time, the most important golf course or golf club in the world was the St. Andrews uh, links. Uh, and St. Andrews adopted the rules were published by the, um, the Honourable Company of Edinburgh Golfers, I believe, in, uh, in, in Edinburgh, and they made them popular. They, they promoted those rules, and all the other courses started using what they call the St. Andrews Rules. And to this day, the St. Andrews Golf Club is, is the most important organization in the world. Oh, wow. So organized, modern, regulated golf was definitely born in Scotland, the golf that we know today. Um, But it did exist in different forms in other countries before that. So, good question. Great. And is it uh, as popular today as it was back in the day? Do you think the popularity of the sport has you know, maintained its standard? <laughs> in, in, in Scotland, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I come from Glasgow. And in the Glasgow district, there are something like 45 golf courses. So for quite a, you know, quite a, a limited area, that's a lot of golf. Yeah, and they all organize local leagues. I used to play in my local league with eight different clubs. So there are lots of local leagues, lots of organized golf, lots of golf tournaments organized by Scottish Golf Union. And um, yes, it's very, very popular today. Yeah. Great. No, I remember, uh, I don't know why we never uh, actually did it, but uh, as you remember, I used to live in Glasgow and I had a friend that lived in, in Mabel in Ayrshire. And... 
And when we right. went to her house, I remember we used to drive past a golf course. I don't remember the name, but apparently it was like very, very important. And she always told me that breakfast there was amazing. And that it was like a really good uh, plan for a Sunday, even if you don't play golf, just to go and watch and spend the day there. But we, we never did it. We always talked about doing it and we never did. But I, I don't remember the name of the field, but apparently of the course, but apparently it was like one of the most important ones. Well, the west coast of Scotland is, is quite famous for golf. There are lots of wonderful courses down there. There's uh, Royal Troon, there's Turnberry, the, the, the western Glasgow yeah. Hills, Turnberry, yeah. Yes. And these are courses that, that have the British Open Championship, or what we just call the Open Championship. Um, so, yeah, wonderful opportunity to play golf if you live in the west of Scotland, you know. As did I and Robert Burns. Though. I don't know if Robert Burns ever played golf, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, next time I'm there, I'll, I'll make sure that we that we go because that's uh, yeah. something we, we never got to do. As I said, sounds interesting. But I have to be honest; I've never played, and uh, I don't understand much of it. I have a couple of cousins that play here in well, in Puebla, and they are like very keen on it. But but I I've never tried it. I know it looks hard, and I have no hand-eye coordination at all, so I've never tried it. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a good chance your, your uh, relatives in Puebla know me. If they played competitive golf, they probably know who I am, and they're probably afraid of me because I'm, a, as I say, a referee, so most people are afraid of referees. <laughs> I don't know if Robert Burns played golf, but I know Mary Queen of Scots did, and the, the old story uh, about Mary Queen of Scots is that the word caddy came into English because of her, because she spoke French. And she used the word caddy in French, which was basically some kind of food servant. Uh, to, and, and she used them to carry her clubs on the course. So that's where the word caddy comes from. Yeah. Oh, really? So she played? She was very wow. keen. Wow. I didn't know that. Wow. So was it like a, a popular thing amongst like royals? Oh, I, I don't know. But I know Mary Queen of Scots ever played. Yeah. And Prince Andrew, our current, our current um, <laughs> Prince Andrew, he was the captain of the Royal and Ancient Golf Club of St. Andrews. So he's a keen golfer. Oh, wow. And, and how did golf come to Mexico, like all, all the way from, from Scotland? Okay. Uh, it was actually the, the English who brought golf to Mexico. The English arrived um, to work in Mexico, rather in Veracruz. And they moved up from Veracruz to uh, Jalapa and to Orizaba and, and eventually up to, um, to, Pueb, to uh, Pachuca. So there are very, very old golf courses, both in, in Orizaba. There's one called Santa, Mar no, Santa Gertrudis in Orizaba. And the, the golf club of Pachuca is definitely one of the oldest, if not the oldest in, in Mexico. Um, The Pachuca course is not the oldest course because it's not the original course. One of the oldest courses is Santa Gertrudis, which is uh, only nine holes, very short. And uh, the, the Club Campeste de la Ciudad de México, which we call Churubusco, is also one of the oldest. That's over 120 years old, which for Mexico has quite gone back quite a way. So that's how golf came to Mexico. It started with the English who set up these courses and these clubs in, in Orizaba and in, in Pachuca. And, um, and they became more popular after that. They started growing. And then the Americans came and they set up courses in, in, uh, 
in places like on the west coast of Mexico and, and also the, the Club Campestre de la Ciudad de Mexico. They opened, that was an American uh, course. And um, actually, it's a very good story about that because the actual, the current um, Mexican Amateur Championship trophy was, was donated to golf by an American in the, at that club. And it was, it was later taken up to the USGA and they put it in their, in their library, not their library, so their museum, the golf museum. And it was there for many, many years. And then and we recovered it back in the, uh, the beginning of the 2000s, around about 2005, six. We got it back and it's an absolute work of art. It's, it's a beautiful a piece of Mexican art and it's made of silver and it's absolutely beautiful. So we're very proud to have that back in Mexico now. So that the Club de Golf Chiro Rosco, the Club Campeste, has played a very important part in the history of golf in Mexico and had a lot to do with promoting the game and growing the game in Mexico. So so that's that's how golf came to Mexico. But pretty late. Okay, so at the beginning was it was it only uh, the English and the Americans that were playing here, or uh, when did you know, like the uh, majority of like Mexican audience started joining or gaining interest in it? Well, yes, yeah, because because golf is basically a rich man's game. In Mexico, we have the concept of the country club, which is not just a golf course; it's also tennis courts and, and restaurants and swimming pools and all sorts of things. Um, so it's actually quite expensive to belong to a club in Mexico. So I think um, rich people who joined these clubs began playing pretty quickly. And, and it started growing very quickly among Mexicans. So yeah, not just Americans. And, and yeah, I was going to ask about that actually. Like here, at least here, yeah, it is considered a sport for rich people, but it's not like that in other countries or what have you uh, experienced? Is it, is it only here? Yeah, that's, that, I think that's one of the problems we have in Mexico. Yeah, in Mexico, we need to develop what you might call public courses. There are very few public courses in Mexico or are truly public courses. By that, I mean a course that doesn't cost too much to play. Because if you charge someone 1,500 pesos to play 18 holes during the week, that's not a public course because very few people could actually afford to pay that. So if you want a public course... Um, Maybe a course like uh, Esmeralda on the way to Pachuca would be a good example where you can play, I think, for about three or 400 pesos mm -hmm. during the week. That's a bit more reasonable. But other countries have, in, in the US, for example, you can play a, a round of golf on an excellent course for $20, $30. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's very accessible to most people. Um, and in, in my country, there are lots of public courses that are virtually free, cost maybe five pounds. And um, it's very, very easy to get again. One of the best um, public courses in Britain is actually in air, in the town that you love so much. It's called Bellevue. And it's a very, very good course. And that's a public course. I've played there quite a few times. Well, I'll write it down and make sure to visit. <laughs> yeah, go to Bellevue for a game. They might not give you a good breakfast. No, yeah, but you're right. Maybe if it wasn't so expensive or, well, because most people well, that, I, that I know, we have that perception that it's super expensive to play, so we don't really get involved or close because you have that idea in mind. So maybe if we, it was more affordable, more people would be interested. In oh, for good. of course they would, absolutely. It's, it's a wonderful game to play. 
There's, there's nothing quite like hitting a golf ball properly. It just feels so good. <laughs> to get some <laughs> uh, stress out of your system, I can imagine. No, I, I've never yeah, tried it. Absolutely. Uh, so can, can you like, explain a little bit about, you know, the rules? And Well, for starters, what are the rules and how, what's, what's the point of them? Isn't, isn't it just okay, like okay. just hit it as far as it goes and try to get it into the hole? That kind of thing. Well, yeah, basically that's what it is, Tanya, yeah. I mean, modern golf is hit the ball as far as you can, yeah, yeah. If you think about the game of golf, what it actually is, is imagine you're on a walk across a field, open land, open countryside, and as you walk, you're hitting a golf ball, right? Um, what could happen to that golf ball as, you, as you're playing, as you're hitting it? It could get, if you go up a tree, it could stay up a tree, That actually happens quite a lot in golf. Balls get stuck in trees. It's quite common. It could go into a river. It could go down a rabbit hole. Um, a bird could take your ball away. <laughs> a dog could run out from behind a tree and pick up your ball and take it away. So basically, the game of golf is a, is a progression of strokes. You play one after the other until you reach your objective, which, as you said, is the hole. So until you get to the hole, you're not allowed to touch the ball. You're not allowed to move it except by making a stroke, by hitting it with a golf club, right? So if something happens to your ball that interrupts that progression, then you need a rule to tell you how to keep playing because if your ball stuck up a tree, you can't go up and play it. Well, you could, <laughs> but most people wouldn't try, right? So you need a rule to tell you what to do if your ball is stuck up a tree. You need a rule to tell you what to do if your ball goes down a rabbit hole, right? or if it goes into a pond, yeah? So these rules allow you to continue with that progression of stroke after stroke until you finish the hole, yeah? So that's the, that's the way golf is played, and the winner is the person who can do that in the oh, least okay, okay. strokes, right? So if I, if I take five strokes to put my ball in the hole and you take four, then you, you win that hole, you beat me on that mm, hole. Okay. Yeah? So that's what the rules of golf really are. But the rules of golf really exist to establish fair playing conditions for everyone so that everyone plays under the same conditions. And that in similar situations, everyone, because they're not actually playing together in a tournament, they're all different parts of the course, but in similar situations, they will do the same thing, right? So there's a certain degree of equity involved, yeah, that everyone is protected by the rules and the rules exist to protect you as a player because you know that in that situation, everyone will have to do the same thing and, and, and take the same action, yeah? So there are certain penalties that are incurred under the rules if you don't follow the rules, yeah? So those penalties are applied automatically and uh, the, the players have to include them, they have to be honest and include the penalties in their score, yeah? So the rules officials on, on the, the Mexican National Rules Committee, for example, are at a tournament to tell people, to give them advice, to inform them about the rules and to tell them when they have penalties and when they don't and what their options are, what they can do on the course under the rules to continue with that progression of strokes. Yeah? Okay, so there's someone like following the player along the course to make sure everything's okay while he plays. Yeah, it's not like football, because in football, the, the referee watches everything that happens. But in golf, usually, maybe at a national championship, there might be six, six of us. 
and there are 18 holes, so we can't be everywhere at the same time. So we're basically available for consultations, and, and if we see something happening, then we intervene and tell the player what we saw. So yeah, yeah. So we are watching the game, and we're there for consultation if they need us. Nice. No, uh, uh, what you're saying about the, the ball ending up up a tree so or something. I remember when I was uh, younger, um, I had an aunt that lived in a, um, a country club, and we would always get balls in the pool. And she had a, a couple of um, tiles from the rooftop broken. And once we went there and um, a golf ball broke my dad's windshield <laughs> and, and we couldn't drive back. It was in Cuernavaca and we couldn't drive back because, you know, there was no, it was a weekend. So we couldn't get the windshield fixed. And we were like, oh, they're really bad players if they keep throwing balls this way. <laughs> Well, they're bad, or the ball could bounce off a tree and, and through a window. Yeah, actually, my aunt had a collection of all the balls that, that, that had you know, landed in her, in her house. Most golf clubs have an insurance policy to cover that. So if there are, if there are houses or, or properties near the course that are in danger, the club will either um, recommend, that the, uh, <laughs> recommend that the house owner build a fence, a really high fence, to, to stop the balls. That's quite common. Or they, 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 they take out an insurance policy to cover any accidents that might happen. Yeah, that's quite common. But there are certain houses that are victims that are just yeah. in the wrong position, you know, and in the constant danger of getting hit, you know? You're sitting at the, the <laughs> breakfast table having your eggs and there's a ball landing on your plate, you know? And then a, a golfer comes in and wants to play the ball <laughs> off your table. <laughs> Imagine that. That's impossible, of course. That would be your house would not be on the golf course, <laughs> so he wouldn't be entitled to go and play his ball from your kitchen. So, what are the rules there? What happens there if you like just uh, send your ball <laughs> to uh, someone's house? Do you start over, or what, what? What happens? Well, basically, you do. Basically, you start over. Yeah, if you hit your ball off the course, what we call out of bounds, um, then you basically go back to where you played that stroke from and play another ball. Yeah. And does it affect your score if, if you like, lost your ball? Oh, it's a disaster for your score. If you lose your ball, it's a disaster. Yeah, yeah, because you lose what we call stroke and distance, which means you lose the distance that you, you, you had gained by playing the previous shot yeah, to the place where you lost the ball. You lose that stroke, and then you, lose a, you, you get a penalty stroke as well. So the effect, the, the effect is actually two strokes on your score. Yeah, although it's one one golf shot plus one penalty stroke. So, yeah, that's the case. If you lose your ball, if you hit it off the course, that's what's going to happen. You've got to play the back and start. Okay, so the the person that broke her windshield was <laughs> punished for hitting his score, probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay, yeah, for sure. great. And um, so these variables, you know, like the pools and the houses and all that well that's like i'm guessing it's like a more modern problem right so have the rules changed lately like to adjust to this uh situations or are we still using the same rules from uh, the ones you mentioned the st andrews rules or have they changed much 17, 1744 it's very interesting if you read those old rules there are 10 10 rules which uh which are very similar to modern, in some way, to the rules of golf as we know them today. 
And the other three rules were what we call local rules, which are rules specifically for the, the links at St. Andrews. Um, it's very interesting. But yes, the rules have changed a lot over the years. The, 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 the rules of golf should not try to cover all the possibilities, all the possible things that can happen, because believe me, there are an infinite number of possibilities. But what the rules of golf should do is provide guidelines on the principles behind the, uh, the, the play and the principles behind the logic behind the way that golfers should behave on the golf course and the kind of things that they should do. So um, those, those principles are still intact after all these centuries. Uh, the, the basic principle is that you cannot touch your ball if it's in play. You can't touch it. Uh, you can only move it by playing a stroke. Yeah? That hasn't changed. The other basic principle that has not changed uh, is that you can't change the golf course to make it easier. So if you're behind a tree, you can't cut down the tree. <laughs> yeah? If you're behind a flower, you can't uproot the flower. You're not allowed to pull up plants or, or stand behind the ball to flatten your line, make it easier to play. Those are the two basic principles that govern play. Yeah? So we say, play the ball as it lies and play the course as you find it. Those are the two basic principles that govern play. And, up, and today those principles are still intact. Now the rules got very, very complicated, very, very, very complicated, um, especially between the, the, uh, the, the la la latter part of the last century, the 1980s to 2000, they got really, really complicated. And they were rewritten, the rules were rewritten about six years ago. And, and a, new book, a new book was published in uh, 2000, I'm going to get, get the date for you. Publi published in January 2019. Oh, no, right? And the new, the new rules of golf have made it easier to understand the rules, eliminated a lot of penalties, which is good news for your average golfer. And, and it explains the procedures that you have to take pretty well, very clearly. So I think we're making uh, good steps forward. We're making progress and making the game more accessible, making it easier for people to understand and not to be so afraid of, um, of the rules because golfers tend to be kind of afraid of the rules and make up their own rules, you know, which is a shame because, you know, we have a regula regulated game and we don't need to make up our own rules. But a lot of players do. You know, they play in a group of four or five people and they have rules for their group, you know. For example, if the ball is within a certain distance of the hole, they just pick it up. They don't finish out. They don't hold out the ball, which I think is a shame. But, but you know, um, it's a little bit of anarchy <laughs> there in an otherwise well-regulated society. But, uh, yeah, but we are trying to, to promote the rules. And in Mexico, we have rule seminars and study groups and we... And we we get in touch with the clubs and, and the golfers and try and explain to them why it's in their best interest to play by the rules. And over the years, we have achieved a very high level of, of commitment to national championships to be played by the rules, you know, to the, 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 with, with our national rules committee, which is a very high level of knowledge and, and, and skill. Um, they're always present at these tournaments and make sure that they're proper events, you know, in the true true extension of the word, it's a, um, it's a shame if, if we're not applying the rules properly. 
Sorry, are, are, these, are these rules international? Like, do you all play by the same rules or does every country has its own, like, version of it? Yeah, good question. We, nowadays we do, yes. The, the rules are global. They, they apply all over the world and they have one single text in English. Unfortunately, in Spanish, we have lots of different texts because we translate the rules into Mexican Spanish and in Argentina, they put it into Argentinian Spanish and, and each Latin American country does its own translation. And Spain, obviously, Spain has its own version, which is a shame, but, but maybe one day we'll get around to doing a standardized version of the rules in Spanish. That would be nice. Um, but in English, yes. In the old days, in the old days back when St. Andrews was uh, the most important club, all clubs just played by their own rules and they wrote their own rules of the game. And that was why it was so important that St. Andrews was able to promote the, the, the famous code of rules that was published in 1744 um, and standardized the rules throughout the world. You know? it took the, the, the most difficult part was persuading the Americans to, to play by our rules. You know? But um, they, they come to the senses and we... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we all play by the same rules today. Yeah. So, uh, are there like international championships, you know, like a World Cup of golf or something like that, or is it just like local uh, tournaments? No, no, no. We have we have world championships. Yeah, yeah. Basically, the, the, there are there are maybe three three main tours. Got professional golf tours in the world. There's the the PGA of America, which is the, the probably the, the biggest. Then the European tour. And the Asian tour, so we've got maybe three very important tours, and they all have their own championships. Um, and I guess the, the world championship, if you want to look at it as such, would be um, maybe the Olympic Games. Now the golf is an Olympic sport. You could say the Olympics are like a world championship every four years. You know, it's kind of cool. But otherwise, we just have what we call major championships. Like tennis has the uh, US Open and the Australian Open, so does golf. So the, major, the four major championships in golf are the U.S. Open, the Open Championship, which is the British, uh, the Masters, and the PGA of America Championship. Those are the four majors. So those are really the world champions, the people who win those tournaments. Oh, nice. And who's the current Olympic champion? Yeah. Oh, good question. I think it's an Englishman. I think it's um, Justin Rose. I, I believe it's Justin Rose, an Englishman, yeah. I was curious about that. <laughs> yeah, great. So, no, now that you were mentioning, you know, like Asia and all of this, I was thinking that you, you got to fulfill your dream of traveling the world after all, but through golf, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. I certainly got to know the whole of Mexico through golf. I've been everywhere in Mexico except Chiapas and Baja California. Those are the two places I haven't been to in Mexico, but I've been everywhere else. Thanks to golf. You need yeah. to go to Chiapas. It's beautiful. It's one of my favorites, actually. So I've heard. Yeah, it's yeah. very, very nice. Yeah, you need to check that off your list. Soon. Well, as soon as we can travel again. <laughs> <laughs> really nice. One of these days, yeah, one of these so days. So during, you know, all these years of going to tournaments and, you know, being so, so uh, involved with this, you must have seen uh, quite <laughs> interesting situations, right? So has anything, you know, like funny or uh, weird has ever happened to you? Can you, do you have a... I mean, oh, God, yes. Oh, abs absolutely. Just when you think you've seen everything, something else happens, you know. We've had um, scorecards with signatures but no scores on them. I, I don't understand how that happened, but it actually happened. <laughs> You're like, what am I supposed to do with this? 
I don't know. <laughs> Impossible. We um, and all sorts of things happen. I mean, there was there was one story I remember. Uh, a famous professional golfer in Mexico called we call him Camarón. The Camarón is Jose de Jesus Rodriguez. He finished his round. It was in León, the Mexican Open Championship in León, and he he finished his round. And I was walking with him to the scoring tent, where he he had to hand in his card, and he was surrounded by Mexican children, surrounded by all these kids. And they were saying, Camarón, Camarón, give me your glove. Give me your glove. And he took off his glove and he gave it to the kids. He said, Cameron, give me your hat. He took off his cap and he gave it to the kids. And this little kid shouts out, Cameron, Cameron, give me your knickers. (laughs) (laughs) Russell, that was a very loose... Loose translation of David Petronas. <laughs> and, uh, well, uh, and the question here is, did he give it to them or not? <laughs> he gave them everything except his chonis, except his knickers. But I think the funniest thing I've ever seen, and, and, and to this day I've, I've never seen anything funnier, it was a playoff at, at the Churubusco Club at the Club Campestre in Mexico, a playoff in the Mexican Amateur Championship. And there were four players in the playoff. It's an astonishing tournament. An Argentinian, a Spaniard, a Mexican, Ricky Carrillo, who was a great player and it's back in the day, um, and uh, another guy, another two Argentinians, a Spaniard and Ricky Carrillo. And one of the Argentinians, the, the, the tenth hole, we were having the playoff on the tenth, eleventh, and eighteenth holes at uh, Churubusco, and the tenth hole is a very short par three. It's a very short hole over a, over a pond. Right? It's only about a hundred yards. And the Argentinian hit his ball into the middle of the green, and his ball was sitting there on the green, and the little girl, a wee girl, probably of about seven, six or seven, came running out of the tennis courts that are behind the green. There's some tennis courts over there. She came running out of the courts, ran onto the green, picked up the ball, and threw it into the pond. And there were about 50 people watching the playoff. And everyone, in one voice, turned to me and said, Ian! And I was just laughing because obviously the rules cover this situation, you know. What would you like to do, Tanya, if someone picks up your ball and throws it into a pond? What do you think the rules should say? I don't know. Put the ball, another ball in the same spot where it was before, maybe? Absolutely. That's exactly what the oh, rules yeah, say. I got it right. <laughs> and, if you don't know, and if you don't know where that spot is, which is the case because we didn't know exactly where it was, we knew it was on the green, but not exactly the spot. I, I don't know. You just estimate the spot. You make your best effort to estimate where it was, and you put another ball on that spot. So no problem. The rules have got it covered. And what happened to the girl? But that's the funniest thing. And nobody took a video. I'm so sorry. Nobody took a film of it. I wish someone had taken out the camera and filmed it, but no one got it. What a shame. So, yeah, funny things happen. But uh, that's my favorite. Yeah, it must be really, really fun and interesting you know, to, to work there. You have, like, it is. Yeah, that's great. So, what else would you like oh, to know? Have you met any like golf celebrities, you know, like Tiger Woods that comes to mind, you know, like, <laughs> what's like the most famous players yes, yes. that you've met? Yes, I have. I haven't actually met Tiger Woods, but I've been very close to him at a tournament. Um, but I, I've never met him personally. But I've met a lot of people. I've met, um, uh, who, who can I tell you? Stuart Sink. I've met, uh, you don't know the names of these players, but, but uh, since I've been to some... No, but maybe many, some of our listeners will. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so I've been to so many tournaments in the States. I've, 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 
I, I was once had a group I had to walk, we were called walking officials. And I was at a course called um, Tory Pines. And I was with a group who was, it was um, Podrick Harrington, the Irishman, uh, Stuart Singh, who I mentioned, and uh, Retief Goosen, the South African. What a great group. They were all the, in the, the, the top 20 in the world at that time. And it was a wonderful group to be with. So I, I was able to walk with them all day and I saw them play for the whole day. Absolutely wonderful. Great experience. Oh, that's exciting. And, and what about Mexican players? Very exciting. What about Mexico? Uh, yeah, well, Mexico, actually, that's, that's a good question. I, I was thinking about this before, before this interview, and the, um, the first name that came to mind was Juan Antonio Estrada. Juan Antonio Estrada was an amateur player. He, a lot of the traditional Mexican golf fans and people who work in golf actually think he was the best Mexican ever. Juan Antonio was invited as an amateur to play the Masters Tournament, which is an incredible honor. And um, he, he earned that through, through his great golf. Um, but then we've had, we've had quite a few players who played on the, the professional tour, the, the, the PGA of America tour, the, the PGA tour. Uh, one of the first was the Professor Victor Regalado, who apparently is, is still working in Tijuana. Um, Ernesto Perez Acosta played in the, the Champions Tour, played in the Senior Open at one point. Uh, he's a wonderful guy, Ernesto Perez Acosta, lovely guy. And uh, the famous Rafael Alarcón, who was Loreno Chua's coach, he actually qualified twice for the PGA Tour, which is really, really impressive, you know. But Rafa was a great player. He was actually, he, won, he was world champion at putting one, one year. He won like a, mil, a million dollars oh, really? or something in a putting tournament. He was named world champion at putting. Rafa Alarcón, yeah. And then we've had, on, on the PGA Tour in Europe, we've had Antonio Maldonado, who was... Uh, He's now working in Querétaro. Saludos, Antonio. Um, and we've had players on, on the, the, what's called now called the Corn Ferry Tour, which is a second-level tour. Uh, players like Oscar Fraustro, uh, Roberto Diaz, Armando Favela. They've all been very, very successful. Um, I'd, like to, I'd like to give a shout-out to, um, specifically, to Isidro Benitez, Isidro, uh, who I've known since he was a kid. He won the Argentinian Open and he qualified for the Open Championship. Wonderful achievement. No? Abraham Anser, who's a Mexican, who currently plays on the, the PGA Tour, he won the Australian Open. Wow. And um, wonderful player, wonderful player. Um, Gabriela Lopez, who's from Tudor Golf Mexico, Mexico City Golf, Mexico Golf Club. Uh, she won her, recently won her first LPGA tournament, so we're very proud of that. Oh, that, that, that's... That's interesting because she's the first woman you mentioned. So is it like... Oh, I'm going to mention some more. I'm going to mention some more. Is it a, like a, a mostly men sporter? Are uh, more women getting involved lately? No, no, no. Not today. Not at all. No, no. Women are, are very active and very successful. Mexicans have done... Mexican, Mexican women have done very well. I was going to mention Carlos Ortiz, who also won his first PGA tournament, which is amazing. Uh, to win a PGA event is absolutely out of this world. It's just an astonishing, astonishing achievement. So, Carlitos, well done, son. And then in the women, we have obviously Lorena. Lorena Choi is the best golfer ever to come out of Mexico. She was amazing and such a nice person too. Lorena is uh, What I can say about Lorena is, is, is little. I just can't, I can't praise her enough. Fantastic. And currently, we've had on the LPGA Tour, 
Violeta Retamosa was on the PGA Tour, and Ana Julio Melendez is on the European Tour, and we've got Maria Fassi, who's on the uh, LPGA Tour as well. So we've, we've done well. The women are doing very well. I think the women really? have a better record than the men because they've got Lorena. They've got Lorena, you know. Lorena was number one in the world. Number one. Have you met her? Like, oh, yes, yes, I know her well. I've known her since she was 15, yeah. Oh, wow, that's so nice. Yeah. In fact, she, she organized a, what we call a skins game. It was um, Lorena against Annika Sorenstam and then against uh, Paula Kramer. And I was her personal referee in those matches. So um, I've, uh, I've got to know her quite well. No, I'm impressed that you mentioned, you uh, know, like quite <laughs> some names. You know, like there's a, more, more people than I... No, but let me tell you, let me tell you some more achievements. While we're, while we're praising Mexicans, we won... We won the uh, what they call the Inter-University Games, which is like the Inter-University Olympics. Wow. Our women won the gold medal in Korea. They went to Korea. There was Diana Cantu, Pamela, Pamela Ontiveros, and Lily Alvarez. And they went and they brought back gold. And Diana oh, won the silver medal. How about that? Eh? And a few years later, our men, our amateurs, amateurs, Sebastian Vasquez, Rodolfo Casalbon, and Carlos Ortiz, when he was an amateur, they went to uh, Europe and they won second place oh, in impressive. world team championships. Yeah, amazing. Incredible. Yeah. And Sebastian Vasquez had the lowest score, individual score in that tournament. Amazing. Fantastic results. So Mexico has done well. Has done well. And our, and our, our, our men's amateur championship is a springboard for young players who are looking to become professionals. We had a young man from, from Chile, uh, Chileno Joaquin Niemann, who is, is one of the best players in the world now, being very successful on the, uh, on the PGA Tour. He hasn't won a tournament yet, but he's very, very close. I don't think he's won a tournament. Maybe somebody could correct me there. I don't think he's won a tournament yet, but he's been very, very close. And he won our Men's Amateur Championship about three years ago. And that was the last time he was an amateur. That was his springboard to professional golf. And he did it through Mexico. So Mexico's got a fairly important uh, trajectory, fairly important uh, success rate. We've done it very, very well. Our young players are coming along very nicely. And, um, and our current players are doing very well. So it's, I think that's probably why golf is still growing. That's why it's still growing. I think Lorena... The Lorena effect, the Carlitos effect, they, these are people who inspire young players. You know? they, they, um, they see the success they're getting and they, and, they, and they want to be successful too. Now, there's something that's holding Mexico back, right? And that is the fact that, that Mexico is a rich man. Mexico is a rich man's game. And people who come from rich families very often don't need to make much money because they, they already have quite a lot of money. So they don't have that motivation to, to win at golf because they need the money. You know, Lee Trevino once said that um, the hardest putt you'll ever have to make is a putt mm -hmm. for your own money with nothing in your pocket. You know, when you don't have any money and you've got to hold the putt not to lose, that's the hardest putt you'll ever make. And um, some players need, need, to, need to win to be able to keep playing and they need, it, they need to make the money to be able to keep playing. And some players don't. 
No? So I think that's a weakness in, in Mexico. A lot of excellent players choose to go into the family business or choose to go into business for themselves instead of staying in golf. So we lose a lot of excellent players for that reason. Like that lack of motivation. Lack of, yeah, they don't need the money, basically. And, and nowadays we send a lot of kids to the States to go to college programs in the U.S. And, um, and they do really well. But again, it's the same thing. They come out of college and they get jobs or they come back to Mexico to work with a family or set up a business or something. And, uh, and they don't continue in professional golf. And what do you think no. could be done to address this problem? Like... Nothing. I don't think it. I don't think it's. I don't think it's important. It's just a, a drawback for Mexico. I think. Well, maybe if it becomes more affordable, as we were saying before, maybe more people will, uh, you know, from different backgrounds can start getting involved. And yeah, and there are there are associations in Mexico. So I would, I would point out the Mexico Valley Golf Association have done wonderful things to help children or young people go to university in the states. I think that's what we can do. We can make sure we get access to these training programs and. And they get an education at the same time while not abandoning their golf. And if they have the talent, they, they may well decide to stay in golf. And as did Carlos Ortiz and his brother Alvaro, they decided to stay in golf and to make their living. You know? And Carlitos has, has now won his tournament and he's, he's made a lot of money. So he's doing very, very well. It's good for him. Yeah. Nice. So that's the situation, Tanya. No, What else can I tell you about it's, golf? It's very interesting. You know, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm very interested in this because it's a topic that I didn't know much about. So, so this, this has been really interesting. And, well, another thing, you know, I love traveling and all of this. So I have to ask, which is your favorite course to play, like in terms of, you know, like the beauty of the of the course or the landscape, which one's your favorite so far? Okay, okay. I, I think, I think, I would, I would go for, I would choose, of the clubs that belong to the Mexican Golf Federation, I would choose the, the Mexico Golf Club, through the Golf Mexico. Wonderful course. Uh, in Mexico, the best course I've seen, I think, is El Tigre in Merida, mm -hmm. Yucatan, El Tigre. And another one I loved was the Loch Lomond Golf Club in Scotland. Loch Lomond course, which is beautiful because of its, its natural scenery and its beauty. And it's a good course as well. I think those are the three I would mention. The other courses like Royal Troon, I, I find them too difficult, you know. They're really difficult golf courses. And, and uh, when you're not a professional and you, you're suffering in the wind and the hitting, trying to hit a ball into 480 yards into a howling gale along the west coast of Scotland, it's... It's difficult, you know, so those courses are a little bit too difficult for, for me. I'd rather play a course that's more accessible. And, uh, and in Mexico, we are spoiled. Our golf courses are just beautiful in Mexico, really beautiful. So it's very hard to choose, but uh, there you have it. Well, thank you for that. I'll write them on the list of places to visit. <laughs> you should, you should. Yeah. <laughs> well, is there anything else you would like to add or to say any advice for our um, listeners who are interested in getting started in golf or something? Well, the, only, the only thing I would say is that they, they, do, they do take it seriously and, try, and do try to play by the rules. I mean, as I say, my, my old dad was a golf professional and he taught me from a very young age. I remember him saying to me, if your ball's on the green, Ian, and it's in a little depression on the green, when you pick your ball up to clean it, You must put it back in the same place, in the same depression. You can't put it like half an inch to the side. You've got to put it back exactly where it was. 
And I learned that from a very young age, and I believe that very firmly, that if you cheat at golf, you're only cheating yourself. No, and I think that that goes for everything you do in life, right? Not, all, not only golf, but all sports and everything you do. Well, they do, they do, say, they do say that golf reflects, you, you, golf reflects your character. So they say if someone cheats at golf, they will cheat at anything, you know? So um, I don't know how true that is, but, but it's certainly something that people believe that golf shows people who, who you really are, what your character is, and how honest you are. And I know for a fact in the past, very often people took, a, if they were looking for someone for a job, they would take them for a game of golf and see how they behaved on the golf course, see if they got angry, see if they were patient, see how they, if they played by the rules before they offered them the job. So I know that's happened in the past. So and actually, they show that in movies a lot, right? Like, well, I've seen it in movies, like <laughs> the boss takes a, the new recruit to play golf and, or even the, 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 the famous Bobby Jones, the famous Bobby Jones once said, <clears throat> if you congratulate me for playing by the rules, that's like congratulating me for not robbing a bank. <laughs> no, he said, you just play by the rules. That's the name, that's the name of the game. And, uh, and that's what we promote. And that's what our job is as rules officials, is to, is to foment that part of the game, no? to make sure that it's, uh, it's an equitable, competitive situation for everyone with the same opportunities and the same rules. Exactly. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for this, Ian. It's been wonderful, a wonderful chat. I really enjoyed it. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you. And hopefully we can do this again sometime because you have so many interesting things to talk about. I would love to uh, have another chat about, you know, like your language teaching experience as well. So hopefully we can do this again. Thank you for joining us. You're very welcome, Tanya. Thank you. So, see you soon. See you soon. Hello to the Scottish community. Well, that was all for today. I hope you enjoyed this very informative episode. If you liked it or if you have any comments, please leave us a message on our social media. Until next time. Bye.